0: You are listening to the Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program.
1: You can find podcasts and video clips of these lectures online at edcorner.stanford.edu.
2: So I'm pleased to introduce um, both of our uh, speakers today, <laughs> and Lily, who is uh, falling asleep down here, is a basset hound. Uh, and also, what is that dog's name? Zeke, Zeke and Lily, so welcome to you two, especially you two old dogs, you. Uh, but you, I'm not calling you two dogs. So. In our world, that's a compliment. That's right. So as I said before, I'm Professor Tom Byers and one of the, and I, uh, one of the hosts of uh, the ETL series throughout the, the year. And it's my special um, honor today to welcome uh, a couple of people. Uh, first of all, on my uh, right, your left, is Michael Deering. Who is going to be the interviewer today? And that's been our format lately, as you've noticed. For those of you who've been coming, and those of you watching, um, Michael is an ex uh, eBay executive, Brown executive. I mean, Brown uh, graduate. Um, I, but we're so blessed that lately he's been doing a good bit of teaching for us here at Stanford, and both the uh, the Design Institute or D School, uh, as well as the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. He's currently teaching a class with. Bob Sutton, and I love this name, Innovation in Complex Organizations. So uh, Michael, thanks for coming today and and working with us. So he's going to be interviewing uh, Christine, Um, and Chris is the president of the uh, Humane Society of of Silicon Valley. I should say Chris Benninger, just the the full name. Uh, So Chris is returning to campus. She got her MBA here, as you notice from reading her bio. Uh, we also share the fact that when we got out of school a long, long time ago, she worked for Arthur Anderson, uh, as I did as well so that 's pretty cool to see and She spent many, many years though at hewlett Packard, which is you know very dear to all of us here at Stanford, uh, given that uh, they were just two grad students, of so Fred Turman, which is the building uh, right next door so there 's a lot of connections between the two. but I have to say that I uh, had the pleasure of meeting Chris last year and it, this fits exactly with what we're, after, we're, we're trying to accomplish with this seminar series, that entrepreneurship play, can play a role in all kinds of things, not just websites. You know, It can play a role in life sciences, and it can play a role in green technologies. It can certainly play a role in what is now commonly referred to and is becoming very popular, social innovations and social entrepreneurship. All of us have had the concept of a humane society in our heads since we probably were young kids and had our own pets. But isn't it interesting as we celebrate entrepreneurs who revolutionized entire industries, like last week's speaker when you know, talking about his early days and founding Priceline, uh, to meet some people who are doing this in social innovation. So that is why, with great pride, I welcome Chris to campus, and I'll turn it over to Michael. Let's give him a round of applause.
1: Tell us how you got to the Humane Society Silicon Valley. It's not exactly the path I would have guessed if I looked at Stanford Business School, Hewlett Packard.
0: You know, um, it was um, probably more by chance other than anything else. I was working for HP, um, had been there for 15 years. I managed a group of divisions, manufacturing divisions, traveled all over the world, actually loved my job, um, had always had a passion for animals, um, wasn't looking for a job at all, but was at work late one night, and somebody had dropped off a Wall Street Journal at my desk. And you know how you take a break and you get a cup of coffee, and you want to read a little bit of the paper, and there was a big ad there for the executive director's position of uh, Humane Society Silicon Valley. And I thought, you know, I'll never get that job because I don't have a nonprofit background, but I'd sure love an interview. Um, because maybe that's something I'd like to do in another ten years or fifteen years, and maybe I could take some classes. So I didn't even have a didn't have a current resume, but put together a resume, put together a cover letter, sent it out. Didn't hear anything for four months. Got a phone call to ask to come down and uh, for an interview, and I had to think. <laughs> you know, I couldn't. It's been so long. Um, went down for a series of interviews and. Um, they ended up offering me the job and I accepted it on the spot without knowing really, really what the job entailed or um, what the salary was and have never looked back since.
1: And what was it that led you to have the confidence to take that sharp left-hand turn on the spot given you had this successful career in place and you were sort of succeeding in business? Why, why take this sharp left-hand turn?
0: You know, um, a lot of my friends and colleagues said the same thing. You know, you're crazy. <laughs> but, you know, um, it was something that absolutely felt right. And uh, I how to explain the fact that I think I made the decision with the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt right in the gut. And um, I'm a firm believer that when things feel right, go for it. And, and I did. And, um, you know, what did I have to lose? I guess I could always go back into industry, right? So... <laughs> It's been a great journey
1: tell the students if you would i know a little bit about this but i'd love for you to share it what was it like when you joined what was the state of the organization how were they doing
0: so when i joined when i said i didn't really know much about the job i really did not know much about the job like um the county had a contract with humane society to house their stray animals and that was a contract that uh... provided ninety percent of our revenue stream and the county had just canceled that contract we had uh... about three hundred uh... donors uh... we had a board that didn't believe in fundraising because we didn't really want to go out to the um, to the world and sort of with a tin cup and beg we um, fought with everybody in our community. We had no support from the vets, no support, you know, from um, city government. Um, We had employees that were dealing drugs on site. We had employees that were uh, sending animals, you know, selling animals to bunchers. The bunchers are people who collect animals and take them out um, for use um, in labs, rather unscrupulous labs. So it was a bit of a... <laughs> when I first started. Yeah. Um, it was quite interesting.
1: And what was on the list of positives, though?
0: Um, these guys. Yeah. You know, so um, uh, so Lily is. Um, she wasn't there when I first got there, but um, so what made it all worthwhile was the fact that we had this amazing mission which was to save and enhance lives and it's not just literally about the four-legged lives it's about the two-legged lives Mm -hmm. and the magic that happens when those two entities come together so that's the saving grace is that the mission really carries you through the tough times
1: indeed the um... i'm intrigued by the whole ninety percent of your revenue coming from a contract that was about to be canceled can you take the students back to the moment that you realized this was a happening and kind of what your thoughts were at the time?
0: Well, I probably can't exactly tell you my thoughts because I you don't want it on tape. <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs> A lot of four-letter words there. Was like,
0: oh my God. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when you and I had talked, you know, I think oftentimes when your back is to the wall like that, that's probably when you start to become your most creative because you have no choice. You've got to do something and that's where we um, Made a strategic decision that to keep us afloat in the short term we 've got to jump right back into um, doing animal control and actually expand our reach in animal control where before we 'd only been doing housing, um, we ne- really need to you know be going out and bidding on you know contracts for um, also having the officers on the streets mm-hmm. as well as just doing the housing so it took us about six months but went out and were able to garner contracts from nine different cities for animal control and housing and that kept us afloat mm-hmm. um, until we could kind of sort ourselves out
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what were some of the other strategic changes that you had to make that's a big one what were some of the others that you faced at the time
0: um, pretty much a complete turnover in management um, so you know, um, my predecessor was one who had a lot of personal problems, so the, the organization had sort of been left to go its own way in a variety of different ways. And oftentimes organizations attract the wrong people in those cases, so had to um, make a complete management change um, because there was so much distrust for our organization with the community. That also elicited um, concern from certain community members. Um, So there was, you know, there was a lot of turmoil that first year in trying to get things settled out. Um, People make all the difference in the world. You just, if you can get the right people within the organization, um, you know, sharing um, a common common goal and a common mission, it's amazing what you can do and that made all the difference.
1: Yeah, say more about that. How did you find them, find the right people and how did you glue them to the organization so that they would stick?
0: Um, Some of it was uh, by luck, you know, you put ads out there and by the grace of God somebody walks in your door who is absolutely amazing and um, shares the passion for you. Um, I also brought a couple of my colleagues over from HP Mm -hmm. um, who I knew and trusted and um, could you know could work we could work well together on you know moving forward some of the changes that need to go forward
1: and what did you say to a successful career person at HP to say come on and do this crazy thing with me what was the pitch like?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well you know it's sharing the dream you know it's you know creating that vision not of what it is today, but of what it could be, and the difference that somebody could really make. Yeah. And, and I think that that's something that was very compelling to a number of people, to think that, um, it's like what I say, you know, when I worked for Hewlett Packard, I never went home at night saying, wow, you know, we sold more computers today. But
1: <laughs> You're not now, kidding about that. Yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs>
0: but now I go home at night saying, wow, you know, we found uh, a home for Crash, who was an 11-year-old collie Mix who was with us for seven months, and that is huge. Yeah. That's absolutely huge. It touches yeah. the heart. And um, you realize that you're saving lives one by one by one. Yeah. And, um, you know, people can feel good about that.
1: There is this almost missionary sense around the team that, I, at least the team I've met, and um, I wonder though, are there enough missionaries to fill all the spots you have, and how do you keep <laughs> the mercenaries from signing up for the hourly job just for the pay? I mean, how do you sort the sheeps from the goats, the true believers from the sort of people yeah. who are just looking for a, a, a time card to punch?
0: Well, you know, um, the 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 mercenaries are pretty easy to to sort out because you can sort of see how they react. Um, I used to actually have, my very first basset hound I adopted from the Humane Society was actually an epileptic.
2: Hmm.
0: And it was always great doing an interview with uh, Reba in the room because she'd go into an epileptic fit. And it was interesting to see how people (laughs) reacted. So if you screamed and ran out of the room, it's probably not the right place for you. (laughs) But... um, the harder part with our profession is sorting out those that are too passionate, because mm. passion is a double-edged sword. A thing? Same, yes,
1: what do you mean? there is.
0: Yes. Um,
1: How does that manifest?
0: Because passion is is an incredible thing. People who are passionate will do anything, mm. you know, for the mission. But they will do anything for the mission, and and passion is very personal. And when things are personal. People oftentimes don't want to compromise. So if I'm absolutely passionate that this is the right way to go, then teamwork goes out the door. Um, people are more focused on undermining what's being done rather than working together as a team, which does require compromise mm-hmm. um, to get something done. So um, in nonprofit work, it's you know it's important to find people who have that right balance.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the strategic choices you made when you first took over. You lost the county contract, you, 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 put, you built this um, uh, city, this network of city contracts and city relationships. Fast forward to maybe more like a year or two ago, or bring us up to date on how the strategies evolved beyond that.
0: So we put together a strategy to keep ourselves afloat, um, which we needed to do because if we weren't there, many, many, many more lives would be lost but that strategy was not the right long-term strategy because merging animal control with humane work actually those two missions clash so how so um, so animal controls mission is to keep people safe from animals
2: mm.
0: humane society's mission is basically to protect animals mm-hmm. so when you bring those two together you get some unusual types of things happening. Like, um, small thing, but I would get phone calls from donors who would say, you know, your officer was just out at my house and um, I now have a $100 ticket for my dog running at large. Could you just, you know, I gave you $10,000 last week. Could we just kind of call this even? And as an agent of the city, I can't do that. Yeah. So now I've got a donor who's upset with me. Yeah. Um, if you're, with animal control, you're focused on things like pet limits. Mm. So I'll put my hand on my heart and say I'm over my pet limit. You know?
1: What is it, What is I the have, pet limit?
0: Every city says you can only have so many dogs and cats. Oh, So we won't. Talk about, you know, we won't talk about pet limits, Michael. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, I have three dogs <clears throat> and two cats, so I check. You're over your limit. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, Humane Society is really focused on, you know, good owners um, and the right matches. So some people can have three dogs and two cats and be fabulous. Um, other people shouldn't have an animal at all. Hmm. So when you're trying to do both jobs, it puts you into some difficult dilemmas. Um, And the other problem with animal control is you have the very, very difficult, um, sort of seedy side Mm -hmm. of the job, um, the law enforcement side, which also manifests itself in difficult things. Mm -hmm. Um, Our turnover rate at the time was 70%. It's really hard to do a job when 70% of your staff is turning over every year so we critically looked at what we were doing look at this clash of missions and said you know if really what our job is is to save and enhance lives then that's where we need to focus um, we need to get out of the animal control business and really focus um, on that saving and enhancing lives and work closely with our animal control partners to really have that collaborative relationship and if we do do that we can really save more lives in santa clara county um, again it was a little bit of a leap of faith because now even though we'd built up our fundraising um our contracts were 60% of our revenue stream mm. so now we're giving them away um that happened over time but the good news is if you fast forward all of that where are we from a community standpoint we've gone from a community save rate of 30% so what does that mean That means that only three out of every 10 animals entering the Humane Society left alive, to a community save rate within Santa Clara County now of 68%. At the Humane Society, we're approaching 90%. So with that strategic change, yes, we're now saving and enhancing more lives. Um, We're reducing the number of animals coming into our facilities overall Um, and the community is much more supportive of the work we do.
1: And that strategy I think also allows you to to pursue new ventures you know it's not a for-profit but a new venture in the form of things like regional rescue could you talk a little bit about regional rescue and why it's a why it's a good thing for for your strategy?
0: Sure so um, when we talk about saving and enhancing lives our our role just isn't within the four walls of the humane society we really look at that as a much broader role um, within santa clara county within the state of california and so as we have room we actually go out to other organizations and take animals from them that would be euthanized either for space because um they're out of space and they can't stop the flow of animals coming in or those animals um, have either a medical or behavioral condition that's treatable but they don't want to treat it so Lily is a good example, Lily actually was part of our regional rescue program she actually came from another shelter that was overcrowded um, and you know she being six years old is not at the top of the list of an animal that you probably um, has high adoptability factor because of her age So. We're, with our original rescue program, actually going out and sort of focusing on those individuals, that the throwaways that nobody wants. And I think that these are the guys who make the biggest impact. Um, it would be a shame not to have her spirit in this world. You know? So it's a great program.
1: If you take this this direction that you've put the HSSV on, where you're you're now you're walking away from your city contracts, mm-hmm. you're going to full focus on the humane, the mission, the original mission right. of the Humane Society. Uh, what does it look like three, five, ten years out? Tell us about that. So,
0: as we're now continuing to transition, then the next question is not only how do we continue to save more lives, but how do we really get to the core issues of what are driving animals into our shelters mm. and if you look at the core issues the core issues um, have to do with regards to commitment to mm. to pets so Lily for example is not an overpopulation problem you know she came into a shelter as an adult her issue was a commitment problem mm. um, I'm actually her fourth owner mm. so she had three other owners who didn't want to commit to her and kept turning her into to shelters. So how do we really deal with that core issue, because it's not just about spaying and neutering anymore. And that's where we started to say, you know, the only way to do that is we've got to really change this paradigm of shelters away from being warehouses, because that's what shelters traditionally are to being essentially involved in our community where we're really supporting that human-animal bond. to That's where the enhancement comes in over the life of the pet, so that people are you know, really committing to their pets for a long-term basis um, and not, um, so they don't end up at the Humane Society. So we um, made the decision that our current facility, which is over 50 years old, does not really fit in with this new dynamic that we want to promote going forward. So we're in the process right now of building a new facility, the first of its kind in the country, Um, very exciting. We call it an animal community center, not just a shelter. And what that will be is um, a combination of traditional um, humane society types of functions, which is adoption, education, spay, neuter, um, with the enhancement of uh, community outreach and services like doggy daycare, dog and cat boarding, a grooming center, a sports and training facility, a pet store, a cafe, dog parks. So what that means is on a Saturday morning, you know, you can come over to the Humane Society with Lily and your six-year-old. And you drop your six-year-old off at our amphitheater where we have the uh, troupe of marionettes from Happy Hollow Park and Zoo who comes over and does a marionette show with an animal-based theme, but it's fun and it's interactive. For your six-year-old, you go out into the dog park where there's an exercise class going on where you and your dog exercise together. Or maybe you do a yoga class together or a dance class. But it's not just about training with your dog. It's, this is my best buddy. You know, we've got to go out and, um, you know, do something together. Yeah. And then afterwards, an hour later, you meet at the cafe, and you get a little something to eat, and there's a dog bakery there, and, you're, and Lily gets a little something, too. So.
1: And how, does, how do you reach, though, the families, the three families that had Lily before you? How do you change their mind about this commitment? I mean, this is a if this were a software company we'd be talking about how to modify customer behavior to make a bigger market right and and this is and this is this is a fundamentally different uh domain but same problem how do you modify human behavior to create a bigger market so that there's a permanent home for lily
0: so one of the big problems that we have in santa clara county and for anybody who's got a dog you probably know there's very few places you can take your dog Uh, parks don't allow them um a lot of you go on you know even walking your your animal down the street a lot of people are like whoa you know i'm gonna walk on the other side of the street so um creating a space you know i'm convinced that if her first owner had a place to come where um he or she could have you know done something fun with her um, met other people who were like-minded and start to build sort of a social network around that, then probably that person would have been less likely to dump her mm-hmm. because she then becomes a part of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the way to really change that behavior is we've got to get out there into the community. We've got to be a place that people want to come and, and um, really work with our community. To provide, you know, fun and interactive things, not just a piece of paper when you walk in the door about, you know, how you take care of your pet, mm-hmm, that sort mm-hmm. of thing.
1: Yeah, makes sense. One of the um, things I think is most interesting about your story in the context of HSSV is you've got sort of these two sides of your brain going. You've got the the business executive, which you trained every, you know, all your gigs before HSSV were mm-hmm. on that sort of executive track, um, that sort of private sector for profit big company. Um, thing. So you've got the the executive you, and you've got the public policy you. And um, what I th- one of the things I think is most interesting about what you're describing is this willingness to be both the tough-minded executive leader and the progressive public policy person. There's one area in particular that I'd love to talk about because I think the students will find it interesting is uh, the feral cat problem in in the in the Silicon Valley. Um, really struck me as at first kind of a, what are you talking about? And then a, okay, I can see how you got there. And just tell, tell them about the, the catch, neuter, and uh, release approach to managing feral cats.
0: Okay. So if if part of our job is to really reduce the euthanasia of, of animals in, in Santa Clara County, if you look at um, what that euthanasia is, 80% of the euthanasia that we do in our shelters is cats, and the vast, vast majority of that are cats that have been homeless. So we have a huge homeless cat problem in Santa Clara County. We estimate that there's probably about 125,000 homeless cats in Santa Clara County, and you, and you see them all the time. You see them, um, you know, behind the dumpsters. I'm sure, you know, people in neighborhoods, you see feeding them, colonies, um, but cats are much more elusive than dogs are, so we, it's easy to ignore the problem. The, the other issue we have is that cats are, are second-class citizens in our community. I can't tell you how many people I talk to who say, um, so, you're killing all those cats, so. Um, well, th- th- that's a problem, you know. We, we shouldn't be, um, you know, that that is a problem when we're you know, we could care less about death happening in huge numbers um, within our community. So, um, there's this challenge around how do you deal with the problem and how do you get people to even care that it is a problem? Mm. Um, so, we first started with looking at um, you know how do you best solve the problem and the solution to the problem is actually something that you wouldn't think. I mean, what you would probably think is, okay, worst case, we just go out and we euthanize 125,000 cats and now we don't have a problem anymore and we'll start from scratch. Well, it, it doesn't work that way because cats are such prolific breeders, you can obviously never catch all 125,000 um they repopulate faster than you can actually catch them and kill them um and so that doesn't solve the problem what solves the problem actually is a program called um catch-neuter-release which basically you trap the cat you spay and neuter it and you put it back in its colony and you let it live out its life um, as, as a spayed or neutered animal and those populations naturally then decline um, But, you know, how do you get funding for that because people who are taking care of these cats don't want to pay $60, $70 a cat to spay or neuter them. So, um, we actually went to city government and got them to fund these programs by translating it into what it actually is costing the city to kill these cats.
2: Hmm.
0: So, to put it in perspective, to trap a cat, bring it into a Humane Society or bringing it into an animal control facility actually costs the city between $200 and $250. You can spare neuter a cat for $25 to $40. It's a lot cheaper (laughs) to do it. And that actually sold the cities on uh, funding these programs with that funding over the last 10 years we've been able to significantly bring down the excess populations.
1: I understand there's actually one of the larger colonies of feral cats right here on campus. Yes. And actually one of the longest term in terms of the volunteers that feed and take care of them and have actually made sure they've all been neutered or spayed. Uh, it's been going on since the late 70s and the colonies actually stabilized and to your point is declining in population uh, after a long time of, of increases. I think that's an interesting one, not only because of the analysis that you had to use to convince the cities to support you. I mean, that's that's analytics that you can do in any business situation to make a case to a potential customer or a source of capital. But I also think the 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 very um, it's an unexpected solution because you, you're you're so trained to think well, if they're wild or they're loose, you capture them and you take them in and they don't get to go back out. Right. I think it's a really good example of. The combo of of hard nosed analytics and um, creative progressive public policy that 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 really um, that you guys use to address that that particular problem. Um, There's another thing you did. Speaking of cats, that I'd love to talk about. You changed your pricing strategy for adoptions. Talk about that a little bit, because I think that's a another interesting case of pattern recognition for for those that are thinking about private for profit entrepreneurial ventures versus social entrepreneurship, you're using similar analytics there to, f- to make a pricing decision.
0: So um, when I first started, um, our adoption prices I think were $25 for a cat and $40 for a dog. And um, about five years after I started the CVMA, the California Veterinary Medical Association, actually completed a study in looking at Basically, their study was around what types of animals get turned into shelters. But there was a little offshoot to that, which looked at how much people actually paid for the animal to begin with. And there was this correlation around the less that people paid for the animal, the more likely they are to turn it in because it's not worth as much. So we made a strategic decision to raise our prices. Um, And again, it was one of those outcries where, you know, board staff is going, oh, my God, you can't raise prices. I mean, who's going to pay more for a six-year-old dog? Um, But the whole concept is, is that if people pay more, they believe they're getting a better product, it's, it's interesting, and they're much more likely to keep that product. We also made the strategic decision to say we're not going to continue to sanction that, um, that message that's being sent that cats are not as important as dogs so that you pay less for cats and more for dogs. So, the first year sort of out of the chute, we raised our prices from 25 and 40 to $110 for both a dog and a cat and what was amazing about the first year is that we had a 10 percent increase in the number of adoptions we did and a 50 percent decrease in the returns of animals Mm. to the Humane Society. So it really has played out that you know the more you pay Mm People think it's a better product, and people want to come to you. <laughs> yeah. So we've continued to sort of lead the way in, the, in, in Santa Clara County with the highest adoption prices <laughs> in the county. That's
1: a good one. We want to save time for your questions and, and thoughts. If you have comments or questions for Chris, please speak up um, or, or raise your hand, I guess. Um, uh, and <laughs> yeah. I, I have some questions saved up in case that you're shy. Um, what questions do you guys have? Yeah. Chris, as you, as you think about both the young people here in the audience and
2: those of us who love animals or who are looking for things to do, uh, as part of philanthropy, what are concrete things that volunteers do to help the cause, and
1: are there positions that might be occupied by some people here in this audience which i mean, uh, for, for uh,
0: a- Absolutely. Oops. Oh, sure. So, so the question was... Um, you know, <laughs> what sort of um, volunteer act, uh, opportunities are there? And I'm assuming also paid opportunities. At, you, do one, yeah. no, you, no. Only, you do that if you want, but
2: volunteer opportunities for sure.
0: All right. Um, and donation there, opportunities. And donation opportunities. <laughs> um, but there are um, all kinds of volunteer opportunities at the Humane Society. I think the one that that I'd I'd love to talk a little bit about that is absolutely critical to us are our socializers. So all of our animals stay until we can find them a home. So that may be two weeks, it may be seven months. So what's really important is that these guys maintain their social skills, that these guys are loved, and handled every single day so your job as a socializer is to come to the humane society and love i mean how hard is that right it's a great i mean it's really good for you um but we have volunteers that clean kennels we have volunteers that work events we have volunteers that stuff envelopes we have volunteers who do analytical studies for us i mean we're um we have uh, basically a someone right now who's doing some um work with us around traffic into the humane society and really understanding who's coming through the door um who's leaving without a pet and why um we're actually we're have uh, just applied to stanford to the act program to um look at having somebody analyze the homeschooling market for us um, i think with our new facility there's a requirement in the state of california that um, every child has um, humane education, so I think we're the perfect candidate for that. Particularly for those um, individuals who are being homeschooled, so starting to explore that. So there's just almost anything you can do. My job,
1: <laughs> <That'd be fine. laughs> you know, and no contribution is too small. And no I contribution
0: understand. is too small. Actually, we get. Um, I think the ones that touch my heart the most um, are the little old ladies who will send in five dollars and say, you know, that's basically, they apologize to me, that's all they can do. But to me, that's an amazing contribution because you know that they're giving something up in order to, to make that contribution. So
1: Yeah. So, um, for the past several months, I've attended the uh, Palo Alto City meetings where they're talking about dog parks and mm-hmm. And um, so the severe shortage of dog parks in Palo Alto, the law says that you cannot have a dog off leash pretty much any time. Um, So I was just
2: wondering if either you or the community that you have around the HSSV gets involved in actually any of these policy issues regarding getting the cities to actually
1: be more um, pet friendly.
0: Um, We do. We do. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tom. So the question is around whether the Humane Society gets involved with cities um, in helping to make those cities more pet friendly, and um, a- and we do, we we absolutely do. Um, the interesting, the very interesting thing about city government is that they they hate, they absolutely hate to deal with any type of animal ordin- ordinances um, because of the passion that happens. Um, it- the city council meetings usually turn into big circuses. So it's very difficult, actually, to get an ordinance change even brought before city council. But um, it's, it's a lot of work. And again, you know, when you've got a small organization and everybody's working three jobs as it is, um, but we try and do as much as, much as we can to, to make cities you know, more pet friendly. You know.
1: In scholarship and in entrepreneurship, I often hear people talk about time management. But it seems that ideally time management would follow from proper passion management. You talked about interviewing people and identifying them as too passionate or not passionate enough. But it seems to me that passion is something that's dynamic. And I wonder whether you have any similar pieces of advice for how to manage your own passion and not become overwhelmed by your work and How to manage
0: the passion of your employees? Mm. Wow! <laughs> so the the question is whether I have any advice about how to manage um, my own passion and um, you know the passion of our you know employees, or volunteers, our donors, our board. Um, it's it's very difficult. I mean, I. I think it absolutely starts with the person initially. Um, Each one of us, I I will tell you each one of us working in this environment, because it's a life and death environment, there's going to be something that is going to trigger us. what helps a lot is having a good, strong team that works well with one another. So when I just completely lose it with Beth, <laughs> that we have a good enough relationship to sit down with one another and say, "I'm really sorry." It, just, it was just too much today. Um, but it absolutely has to start with someone with, with an individual who is a team player, is willing to be balanced, the the person that does not work well in our environment is someone who says i absolutely love animals i think they're much better than people (laughs) well a lot of us really believe that but um you you have to have strong people, people um because that's really the hard part of the job in dealing with that um it's it's really important to walk away from the job our our um, organization is 24-7. It runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's very easy. It's very easy to work seven days a week, 15 hours a day. Um, so it's really important that we police one another and say, you know, Beth, go home. <laughs> it's, it's time. You know, it's time. It'll all be here tomorrow. Um, you, you have to take care of one another a little bit because um, it can suck you in. It can suck you in.
1: <laughs> one of the things I know the students have covered with other guests is the whole idea of raising money to support the venture. Talk a little bit about how you think about that problem because it's fundamentally different than the startup, the technology for-profit sector that a lot of times they hear about. love to talk about capital and financial base.
0: So one of the things that really scared me about the job when I took it was fundraising. I mean, I think that that's not something that culturally we feel comfortable in, in our community doing is asking somebody for money. It sort of reminds us of the, um, you know, the homeless person on the street asking for a quarter. Um, what I found is that if you really believe in something, it's not about asking for money. It's actually sharing an opportunity. Mm. Um, we are incredibly reliant on our community, um, either to support us through donations or to utilize our services. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really about getting your message out there. Um, really believing in what you're doing not being afraid to help share giving other people an opportunity to make a difference in the community um, you get turned down but um, more times than not you don't and people love being a part of, of what we're doing um, so.
1: so So, just to be clear how do you pay the bills what's the business model of HSSB? So,
0: so the business model of HSSV right now is sixty percent of our revenue stream comes from donations, community donations, forty percent from services. so the services are um, adoption, stay neuter, um, we have a pet store um, we are we're always looking to sort of expand our service op- you know, opportunities in the new facility. one of the exciting things about that is we are expanding the services that we have we're offering to our community and that will expand our revenue base um, and allow us to diversify um, our revenue base so we're not as dependent on any one particular type um, of revenue stream Mm -hmm. but um, our funding model is very heavily driven by our community donations
1: So, single, single family donations or are there pet food
0: companies that donate a lot of money? Or? So, so the question is what is the, the breakdown of you know, our donor profile? Is it more corporate foundation driven or is it more individual driven? Um, the funding model in animal welfare is very different than the funding model in say other types of social services. So our, our funding model is about 80% individual donations. And twenty percent from foundations, grants, corporations, that sort of thing. Um, in other types of social services, it's almost exactly the opposite—that you know you're getting government grants, foundations, and a very small portion comes from the individual. So.
1: so I'm curious as to what kind of um, screening process you go through when you get when somebody comes in and says, "I want to adopt a dog." Or, mm-hmm. It's a great
0: question. So the, the question is, what's the screening process that we go through when people want to adopt a dog or a cat? So that is a change that we've made as well. So traditionally, um, humane societies have taken the approach that every single person coming through the door is going to be killing an animal. You know, they're going to be horrible. Um, and we just have to make certain that, you know, we really ferret these people out. Well, again, in looking at the types of people coming through our doors, honestly, 97% of every single person walking through the door is going to make a great pet owner. Um, So it's not about, are you a good person or a bad person? It's about, let's get the right match for you. So that's what we focus on. Um, You're uh, a single mother who has two children under the age of five, and you're coming in wanting a puppy. Not a good match. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, maybe what you really want is that seven year old lab who's great with kids, who's real calm. That's probably the better match for you. So, our staff does not focus on are you good or bad. They focus on how do we find, you know, the right animal that's really going to be successful in your household.
1: That's a great question. Other questions? Well, I, maybe I'll just take a minute or two and wrap up, and, and first of all, thanks to the students for, for attending. Um, and, Chris, thank you for coming. Oh, um, pleasure. What I took away was there is a ton of overlap and pattern recognition between the small company private sector stuff that o- occupies a lot of our time and attention and the social entrepreneurship that you're engaging in at HSSV personally I've had a front row seat to a lot of what you've done and I really uh, I I gotta tell you this is a fantastic executive and a fantastic organization so I'm really glad you got to see that side of management and leadership entrepreneurial management and leadership which is just right down the street you know here in Silicon Valley I, I, I think a couple things struck me one is your commitment to strategic thinking and planning that there's actually so you've got the values you've got a purpose what is the Product line, service line, target customer, infrastructure—that's going to make our mission possible. And I just think that thread is incredibly valuable. The second is, I think, analytically to to be in an organization that has a social mission, but that relies heavily on analytics and careful, you know, uh, 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 left brain thinking is is really a powerful lesson. That um, you know, I certainly didn't expect it until I got to know you and the organization. Um, Third, I think, that you have demonstrated in both your comments today and and how you've run the organization, that you've got this full set of tools, right? A lot of times you think social entrepreneurship means I've got a public policy lever and I might have a little bit of fundraising lever, but you've actually expanded the – you've got a set of dials and levers for managing that include pricing. Um, you know uh, market research um, strategic partnerships and I think that's an important takeaway too is that social entrepreneurial leadership also has this full dashboard of tools and resources that you can put to work against it and it's just a terrific lesson for all of us um, who might not understand that so thank you for coming really great really terrific
0: thank you